Thanks so much for joining for another episode of Run the List, a medical education podcast designed by Dr. Naveen Kumar, an attending gastroenterologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Emily Gutowski, a Harvard medical student planning on going into internal medicine, and Dr. Walker Red, myself, an internal medicine resident here at Brigham and Women's Hospital. As a quick disclaimer, this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be understood as medical advice under any circumstances. All right, friends, welcome back to the Run the List podcast. We are so excited to launch a new format to our series today in which we have three members of our team on each episode moving forward. So the first role will be a host, which will rotate through myself, Naveen Kumar, our two other co-founders, Walker Red and Emily Gutowski, and the newest member of our leadership team, Joyce Sue. Our second role will be our expert discussant, just as before, and our third and newest role will be filled by one of our amazing medical student members who we are so excited to showcase on the show as they each are putting a great deal of time and effort forward to produce the scripts for that given episode, and we want to make sure that we honor them by having them be a part of each of our episodes. So we hope you all enjoy this new format moving forward, and of course, we welcome any feedback with this new format that we're trying out here. So let's go ahead and get started with today's episode, in which we return to our core content with the first episode of endocrinology on uh, one of my favorite topics, hypothyroidism. And I am super excited to introduce Dr. Rachel Blair, who is a third-year endocrinology fellow at the Brigham Women's Hospital, where she also completed her internal medicine residency. Dr. Blair is an excellent researcher, both in clinical research as well as education research, and is an awesome educator who I've had the privilege of co-teaching our clinical skills course for our first-year students together. So I'm so, so excited to have you on, uh, Dr. Blair, today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And today, I'm super excited to introduce our medical student on the podcast, Sarah Honorado, who is a rising fourth-year medical student at Harvard Medical School, who worked tirelessly on this podcast script, an awesome job, and we're so excited to have her today as well. So let's go ahead, let's talk about some hypothyroidism, and let's run the list. Excellent. So today we're going to start with a case. This is a case of a 45-year-old woman with no significant past medical history who's presenting for a routine visit complaining of fatigue and difficulty losing weight despite trying to eat healthy and exercise. She's had no recent weight loss. She's still getting regular periods. She reports some stress related to work, doesn't endorse overt symptoms of depression or anxiety, and says she's sleeping reasonably well. On exam today, her vitals, her temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, her heart rate is 58, blood pressure of 105 over 65, a respiratory rate of 12, and she's satting 99% on room air. On exam, she's a tired-appearing woman in no acute distress. Her skin is cool and dry. Her thyroid gland is non-tender and symmetrically enlarged. Her cardiac exam is unremarkable with the exception of bradycardia, and she has no peripheral edema. Thank you so much, Sarah. So as you all know, I'm a gastroenterologist, but I gotta say, this case does make me think about the thyroid. Rachel, are there parts of this patient's history and physical that get you excited as an endocrinologist? Absolutely. So in terms of the history, the patient is presenting with this fatigue and difficulty losing weight. And that is a really nonspecific symptom that can have a lot of causes, but certainly can go along with hypothyroidism. 
The other pieces in terms of the physical that make me think more about hypothyroidism are the fact that the thyroid gland is symmetrically enlarged and that the patient does have bradycardia. So those both can go along with hypothyroidism. Got it. So both evidence on history as well as physical exam, they're pointing towards a possible diagnosis of hypothyroidism. So Rachel, you know, here at Run the List, we are always emphasizing frameworks. So as we settle on a possible diagnosis of hypothyroidism, what is your approach to thinking about potential causes? So I like to break up hypothyroidism into two different categories. And the most common by far is going to be what's called primary hypothyroidism, when the thyroid itself is not making enough thyroid hormone for a variety of reasons. And much less commonly is something called secondary hypothyroidism, where the pituitary gland is actually not telling the thyroid to make enough thyroid hormone. So the problem is at the level of the pituitary rather than the thyroid itself. And within primary hypothyroidism, the most common cause is an autoimmune type of thyroid disease called chronic lymphocytic thyroiditis or Hashimoto's. There's a few others, uh, some of which you just have to double check with your patient um, if they've had their thyroid out, if they would had radioiodine ablation or radiation to the neck in the past. That can all be reasons why the thyroid itself won't make enough hormone. That is so helpful. So I think this distinction between primary and secondary causes really provides us with a very instructive framework for thinking about organizing what the differential diagnosis for a patient with hypothyroidism may be. For our listeners, what are the things to consider as possible causes of secondary hypothyroidism? So in terms of secondary causes, and another word for this is central hypothyroidism, it's where there's a problem with the pituitary. So that can be either if a person has an adenoma or growth there that's causing issues with secretion. It can also be if somebody has had prior um, surgery or radiation to the pituitary, causing it to not be able to secrete properly. Perfect. Rachel, thank you again for walking us through the different causes of secondary hypothyroidism. So with that in mind, how do you first start evaluating a patient for hypothyroidism? So that's a great question because, again, um, in this case and as in many people who present with nonspecific symptoms, it is important to have a broad differential. So for someone like this woman, I would get a broad range of labs in addition to um, asking a little bit more on history. We already heard that she's denying other common causes of fatigue or trouble losing weight, including depression or trouble sleeping, those sorts of things. But in terms of basic um, labs for sort of a nonspecific fatigue and difficulty losing weight, it's reasonable to obtain a CBC as well as a basic metabolic panel. I also obtain iron studies in women who very often do have iron deficiency as well as the vitamin D. And of course, we'll get a TSH to investigate the thyroid. So that is super helpful in terms of thinking what labs on first pass to send. Sarah, can you update us with the results of, the, of those first pass labs? Sure. So our patient had a CBC, a BMP, and iron studies that were all within normal limits with a ferritin of 45. She had a vitamin D level drawn that was 28. She had a TSH drawn that was 8, with the normal range being between 0.45 and 4.5. Sarah, thank you so much for following up on those lab results. Rachel, can you now walk us through interpreting this first set of labs and what this means for our patient? Absolutely. So the most notable thing on these labs is that the TSH is elevated up to 8. 
And so one thing that is recommended is simply to first repeat that level. And that's because there can be fluctuations, particularly with any sort of acute illness or stress. That's part of why it is really tough to interpret labs such as these in hospitalized patients who are coming in for other reasons. So the first step that I would do here is repeat this uh, level in about four to six weeks. And then if it still remains in this range, the other thing that we would want to do is try to determine, is this a primary, which is by far the most common issue, or a secondary hypothyroidism? In primary, um, we would expect, as we're seeing here, a high TSH with a low free T4, which is reflective of the amount of peripheral hormone that's circulating in the body. In a much less common scenario with secondary hypothyroidism, we would see actually a low TSH and a low free T4 because the pituitary itself would not be making very much TSH. So the other thing when you are first diagnosing um, these patients that's very helpful is to add on a free T4. So in our patient, we have confirmed that she has a high TSH. So you mentioned the next step being to get a free T4. So Sarah, could you provide us with that level? Absolutely. So the patient had a free T4 drawn that was low at 0.8 with the normal range being between 0.9 and 1.7. Okay, great. So we now have a high TSH and a low free T4. If I am understanding this correctly, it sounds like we're moving towards a diagnosis of primary hypothyroidism. But again, I'm a gastroenterologist. I want to bring in my expert endocrinologist to make the diagnosis. Rachel, with this information, what do we have and how would you next want to proceed? Yes, I totally agree with you. So with a high TSH and a low free T4, and the TSH has been high on multiple checks, that confirms primary hypothyroidism. Again, just by virtue of epidemiology, most likely due to Hashimoto's or autoimmune hypothyroidism. In terms of management for this patient, what I would do is start levothyroxine. And this is something that you can just easily look up the dosing because it's hard to remember the specifics. But typically, 1.6 micrograms per kilogram of levothyroxine is the starting or full replacement dose. And there is some debate as to whether that's done with ideal body weight or actual. But oftentimes, we use actual and just round down a little bit if the person is overweight or obese. And a key piece of counseling patients about taking levothyroxine is that it does need to be taken in a very specific way. So ideally, it's taken in the morning on an empty stomach, and folks should wait at least half an hour to eat. And if they take calcium or iron, that should be separated out by four to six hours. So often what I'll say is if they take the levothyroxine in the morning, just take those other supplements or their multivitamin in the evening. The other sort of alternative is if it's hard for the person to take the levothyroxine on an empty stomach, they can take it right before bed instead. And the last sort of tip in terms of prescribing is that it's a very long-acting medication. And so if somebody misses a dose of levothyroxine on a given day, they can just take two the next day, and that can help with adherence to the medication. And then once a dose is started, the TSH can be rechecked in about four to six weeks to see if you're on the right dose. Rachel, you explained that so well. I feel like I can uh, start prescribing Synthroid on my patients moving forward. So thank you so much for that. 
I do want to ask one question. I've heard this term of sick euthyroid. Can you explain what that is and how that relates to the testing that we've done so far in this patient? Absolutely. So in terms of sick euthyroid, the other name for that is non-thyroidal illness. And without going into great detail of the pathophysiology, essentially there can be a lot of changes in the thyroid function tests when somebody has an acute illness. And depending on when you check in the course of their illness, you can see different changes in the TSH and free T4 um, that can make it very hard to interpret the testing. And so in relation to how this plays into our patient, um, that was the whole reason behind rechecking the TSH and confirming it was elevated more than once. Because again, if the person had some other concurrent illness, um, you might misdiagnose them with hypothyroidism, whereas really it was just a blip related to another illness going on. And so in this patient, because we repeated the testing, we can feel confident that this is likely not thyroid. Got it. Okay. So this patient then has primary hypothyroidism based on the high TSH and low free T4. And just for fun, what if when we check this patient's free T4, instead of it being low at 0.8, Let's say it was 1.1 or normal with the same elevated TSH of 8. What would that mean, Rachel? So that's a great question. And then we would call this subclinical hypothyroidism, where there's a high TSH with a normal free T4. And again, the first step is just rechecking in somewhere between four to eight weeks. And again, that's because you want to rule out things like sick euthyroid. If, again, the patient, uh, the labs are stable with a high TSH and a normal free T4, that confirms subclinical hypothyroidism. And then there is some controversy in terms of treatment. Um, Again, this is something you can kind of look up if you run into this situation. But the general consensus is that if the TSH is greater than or equal to 10, consistent with a little bit lower functioning of the thyroid, then you can go ahead and treat. If the TSH is just slightly elevated between 4.5 to 9, then it's more controversial. And the recommendations are that if the person is asymptomatic, you don't necessarily need to treat, but you should continue to monitor the TSH. And finally, one sort of thing to note here is that if the TSH is mildly elevated, Uh, in subclinical hypothyroidism, but the patient is planning pregnancy, then it is reasonable to order an additional test called an anti-TPO antibody, which tends to be positive in autoimmune thyroid disease, and treat that patient. And that's a patient that would be very reasonable to refer to endocrinology if a person was planning pregnancy. The last thing to note here is just that TSH does rise a little bit with age. And so that's why the recommendations are if the TSH is greater than or equal to 10 to go ahead and treat. But again, especially in older folks, if the TSH is just a little bit above the normal, quote, normal range, we often just monitor. Excellent. And and just to be clear, that is with those folks who actually have a normal free T4. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Perfect. All right, Sarah, can you wrap the case up for us, please? Absolutely. So the patient was prescribed 125 micrograms of levothyroxine and her TSH normalized on a repeat check six weeks later. 
Her symptoms of fatigue improved, and she's already lost five pounds with exercise and healthy eating. Fantastic. Thank you both, Dr. Blair and Sarah, for such an excellent case presentation and discussion. Rachel, before we go, could you share with us a few clinical pearls, kind of summaries on this awesome discussion of hypothyroidism that you just provided us? Absolutely. So I'd say the first, which is easier said than done, is trying to avoid checking thyroid function tests in patients who are otherwise sick, just because it can be very difficult to interpret those tests. And we'll often say to repeat them again once the patient is is not acutely ill. The second thing is that the signs of hypothyroidism can be very nonspecific, including fatigue. And so for those folks that are presenting with that in the outpatient setting, my personal approach is that I do recommend doing a more broad workup that includes a complete blood count, a basic metabolic panel, iron studies, including ferritin and a vitamin D, along with your TSH. And then the last thing is that if you check a TSH and it is abnormal, then it's very helpful to add a free T4 and recheck again in four to six weeks before making any treatment decisions. Perfect. Rachel, this was so great. Sarah, how about for you as a student on this case? What's one uh, takeaway that you'll use moving forward from this episode? One thing that I learned from this discussion was to remember that stress or acute illness can cause mild abnormalities in thyroid function tests and to interpret these with some caution, especially in patients who are in the hospital. I think that's great to remember going forward as a student. Wonderful. And I'll even give one takeaway myself. Mine's a little more um, elementary, but I just love that distinction, thinking primary versus secondary. In primary hypothyroidism, you generally see a high TSH with a low free T4 whereas in secondary hypothyroidism, which again is much more rare, you will see actually a low TSH with a low free T4. So all in all, this is such a wonderful discussion. RTL listeners, hope you enjoy this new format. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you soon. Take care.